This is episode number 48 of Behind the Yellow Line, a baseball podcast with Jeremy Spector and Randall J. Sanders. I'm Ronan O'Shea. It is getting late in the year here, folks. We're recording this on December 15. Some lockout stuff we want to talk about. Uh, also, some Cubs early predictions looking ahead to next year. Zips is out. We have an update there. We'll share some surprises, some encouraging numbers the biggest issues the Cubs have going into next year. So a little bit on that and whatever else sort of comes to us on the Cubs front. Trivia today led by Randall J. Sanders. How exciting is that going to be? I'm excited. Oh, I'm very excited. All you told us before we started, and this was just a couple minutes ago, was the theme is December. So Jeremy and I can let that percolate for a little bit. Randall's going to lead trivia. This is episode 48. We're going to look at some Cubs that wore the number 48 and then a couple minutes here on the Bears and the Bulls. And uh, yeah, that's the idea here tonight. But it's pretty quiet right now, guys, in terms of baseball. There's just really nothing happening, no news going as this lockout rolls on. Well, it's it's unfortunate. Uh, I don't know that a whole lot would be happening this time of year. You know, team front offices, players would be looking ahead to spending time with their families as the holidays approach. But, you know, it, it's it's too quiet. It's like like John Wayne. It's quiet too quiet and especially with today's report that i know we'll get to in just a couple of minutes that the two sides aren't going to talk again until after new year's which i think we knew but it's disappointing just the same it's 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 just a, a dead zone a dead zone in the off season right now it's as you said it's unfortunate that um that there's really nothing going on. i remember reading an article like a couple of years ago i think um maybe even like mark derosa talked about about how players really like to uh get where they're going by christmas they like to know where they are um, so that way they can spend it, you know, with their family and, uh, and, you know, and, and have an idea of what to prep for, for next year. And so like Christmas was always like a deadline. A lot of players usually had in the past, which I don't know how relevant that was in the last three, four or five years or so, where everything got pushed out a little farther, but in the past that had been kind of like an unofficial deadline where, well, after Christmas players start to freak out a little bit about where they're not going to be. Um, so it, it's a little you know, kind of, there's nothing going on, as you said. And, you know, um, they're supposed to meet tomorrow on non, you know, economic issues, which what a hopefully, waste of time. Uh, as Randall says, it'll be a race of time. I mean, but maybe they can get something sorted out, but yeah, right now, you know, I, I there's nothing really going to happen until after the, the first at, at, the, at the earliest. So it's, it's kind of weird to not have any baseball news, which unfortunately we've seen the past a little bit. I think 2018, we really didn't have much baseball news and Bryce Harper signing on like March 1st and Machado, Machado really uh, far as well. But still, you, you'd like to have something, you know, some sort of rumor. I, I, for me, I know Randall doesn't enjoy that, but I like to have nope. some baseball news and something fun to talk about and something interesting or you can speculate or throw something out. Well, I think that's fun. As I, as I said last week, I, I don't miss the deluge, the deluge, the, the influx, the incessant rumors, 99% of which lead absolutely nowhere. I really don't miss that. I just wish it were for better reasons. I don't mind that nothing is being tossed about. That's not going to happen at all. I just wish it wasn't happening because of a work stoppage. Well, one thing we are hearing is basically there's no sense of urgency right now. Nothing is going to happen, as you said before, New Year's. And then maybe as we get into the New Year, some urgency as spring training gets a little bit closer in February. But they're not agreeing. Economics, the primary thing distracting them. But Jeremy, I do think you bring up a good point. That dominates the conversation. That's the biggest thing, keeping the two sides apart. But there's dozens of issues that they've got to resolve here, big and small. And there are some along the way that they're not so far on. And I think one of them would be like the designated hitter coming to both leagues. There's things like that that just seem inevitable at this point. 
Yeah, definitely. I, I think that, you know, designated hitter definitely uh, would be one of them. Uh, I, it was mentioned before, I think by Jason Stark that a lot of, uh, or maybe somebody else, but a lot of um, not like rule type changes are kind of off the table because they just don't foresee that happening. Um, this during the CBA, like, you know, shifting type things, pitch clocks, maybe because also Manfred can kind of, they can negotiate that later and, and he can implement it if he wants. Um, so, but I think like universal DH, yeah, that, that definitely could be something that I assume gets done. Um, cause both sides kind of want it. Um, the owners try to use it out as like a, a negotiating, uh, wedge in 2021, but it didn't really go anywhere. Um, but I think at this point, like in the CBA, it's basically going to happen. So I'd be very surprised if something like that didn't happen. So I, you know, it's not a huge addition for players because there's not a lot of full-time DHs anymore um, in the American league. Mostly it's just like to extend guys careers or like utility guys kind of now, but you know, it adds something for the players. You know, Randall, you're the big internet guy. You're on Twitter all the time. You're out there on Instagram, taking your photos, something that's been really weird right now. It's sort of the eerie silence across socials with regards to baseball. I mean, teams can't market like they normally would be doing now in the offseason where you'd be having, uh, you know, little video reels and things up on social media with players intertwined into it. They can't do any marketing right now with Major League Baseball Players Association players. So if you go on the Cubs Instagram account, you're seeing stuff about guys that retired 15, 20 years ago. That's a little weird, Randall, after a decade of nonstop content being churned out by the teams. It's it's a ghost town right now. The the Cubs put out some photos today for wallpapers because they got nothing else they can do. And the scoreboard had uh, not just player, not jersey numbers. They had the uh, the the starting pitching numbers as seen in the Wrigley Field scorecards that you can buy. And you have to compare those lists to the, the scoreboard, they had those numbers up and that's the closest they can come to anything involving a player or a player name. It's, it's weird. As you said, the last time there was a work stop is there wasn't nearly this much media uh, being put out by the teams. And it's, it's really weird. It's, it's strange. And I don't much like it. No, it's, it's very weird. Um, you know, just the idea of the fact that, and, and that they don't have any articles, you know, on, on the websites, MLB, TV is trying not to show anything that, you know, or talk about anything that occurred, you know, with current players. So it's all past things. Um, it's odd. You know, they, they obviously, if there's like major news with a player, they obviously can talk about that, something off the field type deal. But it, it's just a, an awkward situation that these teams are in and, and the organization and even the players like, because I'm sure they're not big fans of that as well. It's even more funny when you see like a guy like Marcus Stroman, you know, signing with the Cubs, which is a big deal. And then the team, you know, is, is making money off of <laughs> selling all his jerseys, which, but, uh, but, you know, advertising that, but, you know, not really talking about the players as well. So it's just a whole weird mess of a situation that it's going on. And I mean, hopefully it could be resolved sooner rather than later. Cause you know, like it's, it's a lot more fun when it's more engaged about baseball and the current players and what's going on in the field. Yeah, even even in a slow period in a normal offseason, the team websites would be putting out those, you know, top remaining free agent, which yeah. free agents are, are still a fit for this team written by the the individual MLB.com beat reporters. And of course, they can't even do that now because that all falls under the, the CBA. They can't write or do anything involving active players. So not not to keep stating the obvious, it's weird and something none of us have experienced before. So, and I hope they get it resolved soon because again, I don't like it. It's, it's, it's quiet, too quiet. 
I, I'm curious what, uh, you know, the players are going to end up doing or having to do because, you know, they, they can't really work out at team facilities either. So they can't like even players that are under contract, but with the way that the, the, this lockout where who knows how long it goes, uh, there's a ton of players right now that aren't under contract. And even then, like, where are they going to work out? Like, do they, so like, I could see the MLBPA if it goes very long, you know, into March or February, they're, they're probably going to try to put together some things. Cause it could be like a ramp up of having to get all these guys ramped up and, and sign somewhere. So they might have like, you know, like combines or something. Yeah, Jeremy, I was just thinking that as we know that they did with the, the free agents in one of the really slow off seasons some years ago, it would not surprise me at all if the guys who are under contract or at least know where they'll be playing in 2022 start uh, a players association run camp in Arizona and a players associated run camp in Florida that guys can fly to and they can they can work out, they can throw off a mound, they can get their at bats. And that way, if the team camps do open up in a snap as an agreement is arrived, they can stay right there in the state, head to wherever the team facility is. So it would not be surprised. It would not surprise me at all. If as we get closer to what would be normal spring training, the players association starts organizing those. And then maybe a third camp somewhere for guys who aren't signed yet, where they can still go work out a little bit somewhere centrally located, maybe somewhere in Texas where they can get to Arizona or to Florida without too much, too much distance. A big camp. A lot of they guys. Sure. Yeah. You bring up a good point though. So players can't get into facilities. They can't go to the workout spaces or anything like that. How does that impact rehabbing players? Yeah. I don't really know. I, but that's, that's a huge deal, right? Cause you've guys coming back that, especially, I don't think they can talk to like team doctors and stuff. I think they have to, you know, deal with their own doctors, which obviously the team would be very involved in wanting to you know get certain guys on certain plans to rehab because it's what they think is best for their team so that's like a huge kind of conflict there and i mean i, I luckily I, I don't really know of any major injuries but the cups do have major injuries but because every team's going to have a few but uh it, it, it's just a weird situation to be in that was a big sticking point when the nhl was in a work stoppage almost a decade ago now it's a long time ago 2013 at this point where injured and rehabbing players were still permitted to rehab at the team facilities and have contact with the doctors. MLB players, as far as I know, cannot have that contact right now. Jamison Tyone uh, was recovering from a foot injury this off season. I think the first thing he said when the lockout started and he could no longer be in contact with the team doctor was that his walking boot was coming right off. Yeah. I don't know that he was serious or not, but the Yankees organization seeing that had to be real concerned you hope that the players are able to get sound medical advice somewhere and that they're not making bad decisions that are going to affect their livelihood and what will hopefully be the upcoming season yeah i'm pretty sure that was a joke he was making oh, well, that's a joke good that, that's good i don't want to see that he was that that hurt. that so because he was kind of joking about well well i can't i don't i can't have any contact with team doctors all right this boot's coming right off it was kind of like a, a joking manner um, but you know, it is a weird situation and maybe they will be able to work something out like that. If it gets later into the lockout, uh, January, February, maybe they'll be like, okay, we should be able to have some of these guys at least warm up at, or do something, work out at team facilities because they're important. It's important to their future. And there's clearly some kind of limited back channel communication going on here. Justin Verlander's deal with the Astros was not official at the time that the lockout went into effect. And I guess the two sides were able to communicate just long enough this past week to get that done. 
and get that made official because you have to have some communication between a team and the player union or at least a player representation in order to get that done. So there's clearly some back channel communication going on enough so to work out a big issue if it comes up. But that's that's what it's going to be for at least the next month, month and a half is little tiny things here and there as we as we wait for a deal to be reached. And Randall doesn't miss the rumor mill. I I don't. I really don't. Like, you know, you you know, we we all know my thoughts on the rumor mill. We all know what I think of it. I I don't miss the rumor mill one bit. Again, I wish it were silent under better circumstances. Uh, I don't know that there would be better circumstances under which it would be silent. You can't make rumors illegal as, as great as that would be. Um, but I don't miss the rumor mill very much. I don't miss report team interested in player. I don't miss mm. report player might play for team. I don't miss that. I really don't. Randall wants to ban the uh, press first amendment. Get out of yep, here. That's exactly what I want to do. He wants yes. it illegal. It's yeah, he's complaining take, about the quietness, but yeah, I'm going to take Bob Nightingale's first amendment rights away from <laughs> it's him. It's too quiet, but not, I don't like that type of noise. Randall, did you say, I want to make sure I heard you correctly. Backroom communication. I said I might have, you know, sometimes the, the old mouth outruns the old brain. I meant back channel communication. If I okay, did maybe say you back said room. back channel, you and I yes. need some back channel communications. Ronan, you text me a hundred times a day. We have more back channel communication than any two countries on the face of this planet. Well, our no, diplomatic, uh, our diplomatic hotline is constantly lit, Ronan. There's no lack of communication between you and I. Then maybe you need some more front channel communication. I think I there's think plenty so. of that too. That's what this is. This is a front channel communication. We do this weekly. Uh, well, we got some news this week about the Cubs. It actually came out yesterday. That was the 14th. Uh, early predictions, some projections for the Cubs this upcoming season. Fangraphs put it out here again, December 14th. Uh, Jeremy, before we start getting into the numbers and looking at, okay, what's trending to be good for the Cubs, what's projected to be not so good. If a fan came up to you and said, how am I supposed to interpret Zip's data? Like, what am I supposed to make of this? Where, where do you start them? before we get into the actual numbers. Yeah. So it's like a projection system. Um, you know, it's a, it's a kind of an algorithm, but not, I mean, it's based on, uh, I'm, it's based on, you know, years of data comparing to comps in the past, like certain guys. Okay. This player's at this point, he showed, I mean, I'm, I'm sure uh, Dan Zaborski who creates it and is a great follow on Twitter, uh, writes for fan graphs has uh, you know, a secret sauce to it, but, and all the different traits and, and data that goes into it. But basically, um, you know, like, let's just say Wilson Contreras or something, you know, he's 30 years old. He's had this history uh, of this kind of trajectory of the certain probably key stats that, he, that they look at. And then they, you know, it compares it to the, into the past to hundreds of, you know, thousands of players that have played major league baseball and it finds the most comparable players. And then it comes up with a projection based on those players. Like, well, this is what it's going to be uh, next year. And then it takes the 50th percentile. Basically the numbers you're looking at are the 50th percentile projection. So the 90th percentile would be like, you know, the Will Scutras, this is like the best we think he could be next year. And the 10th percentile would be like, this is the, the worst we think he could be um, next year. And then it, it picks the middle and say, okay, well, this is what we think. So basically, like, if you look like a team like the San Francisco Giants last year, basically all their players hit like their 90th percentile projection. Like everybody thought, okay, they're going to be this good. And then they hit like, really, they all played really well. So it's not telling you like, you know, this is exactly what this guy's going to hit next year. But it's a good idea of what what should be expected, like what what we think his true talent level is in this moment and what we would expect him to hit. And he might do better. He might do worse. Um, yeah. It's not going to be an exact thing. Some guys will perform better. Some guys will perform worse. But it, it's a good you know, it's a, it's a production. So it's not like saying this is the, these are the exact numbers, because uh, if you're looking at it, even they, they would tell you, like, 
we expect guys to do better because you, you don't you don't expect them to hit this at numbers. You expect guys to do better and you expect other players to do worse. So especially I think another thing to consider is it's the middle of December right now and right. no other moves can happen. So obviously other players are going to be acquired. That's going to change the depth. That's going to change a whole lot of things pertaining to this team. But right now, the roster as built, Zips predicts the Cubs or projects the Cubs to be about a mid-70 win team. A couple of numbers just for some context here. Newest addition, Marcus Stroman, the leader on the pitching staff with four war. Home plate, catcher. That's the strength for the Cubs. Wilson Contreras, Jan Gomes, over three war projected. And then how about this, Jeremy? Patrick Wisdom, David Bodie, over at third base, coming in at just under three war. What jumps out to you when you first saw these numbers pop up? Well, when, uh, and the way uh, Dan does this, he always project, he always uh, puts a graphic up of like the expected roster depth chart uh, and what the like expected project, the projections are of them the night before. And so when he first posted that and I saw the number of wisdom Bodie at 2.7, I was like, first of all, I thought, wow, this is kind of better than I expected for any of these guys. Really um, wisdom Bodie at 2.7, like, that's kind of a pick. No, not three. If they could combine to be basically a three-win player, that because average is two, so that's an above-average player. That would be like really good to get out of third base from those two guys. Um, you know, the way the projection works is uh, when he projects individual players, uh, it includes their playing time. So, like, he projects their playing time of what you know based on the past how much playing time there's. So the graphic actually shows like what would they get if they had like full playing time and the the numbers are like the actual projected play time. So they might not add up to what the graphic says, but basically if they're, if those two guys played like 600 plate appearances, it's saying like they would have 2.7 war, which is pretty, pretty incredible. And as you said, uh, and Zaborski mentions it, like he had them as a mid to high seventies win team, um, which I was like kind of surprised because I thought they'd be more like a low seventies win team. That's kind of how I had it. So that made it seem like, okay, they might actually be a little bit closer to competing than what we think they are. What jumps out to me, uh, similarly, it projects the combination of Nico Horner and Sergio Alcantara at shortstop to be similarly a little bit above average. Projects them combined for 2.6 war, just below 2.7, and that's encouraging. I don't know how much stock I put in these projections a lot of the time. I don't know if anyone's gone back at the end of a season and compared how it turned out to what the projection was, but it's encouraging to see that the projection system likes that shortstop platoon and believes that it'll come in a little above average. Um, I would hope that's not the shortstop combination the entire year. I think the Cubs can do better there, but I, it is a little encouraging to see that it projects those two to come in above average. And similarly, Madrigal uh, is projected at 2.3. It likes him as being a little bit above average as well. So again, we know infield is a position of need for the Cubs right now. We know they're probably still looking for a decent shortstop, but it is encouraging to see that if they do go into the season with what is on the roster, it grades out as being a little bit above average, which it's not great, but that's sure better than being below average. Yeah. There's, there, there's, there's definitely, um, you could go back and look at, uh, and I haven't done it in years, but they usually after every year, there's like different sites or whatever that, that compare the projections to what actually happened and tries to figure out which projection system had been, you know, the best over the last year, best over the last five years, best over the last 10 years. Cause there's a lot of different projections out there. Um, basically when you go to fan graphs, um, they have their depth chart and their depth chart projections are usually a combination of the zips projections, which, uh, and uh, steamer projections. So it's kind of a combo of, 
of both of them. But the way I like, because the way what I think is cool that the, in the zips is he posts all their number one comps, you know. And I, I remember when he used to do it at a website called Baseball Think Factory. It used to be the top three comps, but you get all the number one comps of what like he, how he. Uh, what they are now like a guy like nico horner his number one comp right now is edgardo alfonso which i remember edgardo alfonso in the in the late 90s i was like that if we get edgardo alfonso that's a good, good player same with uh nick madrigal's placido polanco like like these might not be names that like you think about as like whatever because but those were like good players in their prime they, they they contributed a lot to winning baseball teams and do you know who frank schwindel's number one comp is as a third uh, base i do i do but only because i'm looking right at it yeah, Ronan, any guess? Nope. The Coom Dog, Ron Coomer. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, Jeremy, I'd, I'd like it, I'd like it to go on the record as saying, uh, as I was looking at these uh, these number one comps on the the website here, and I saw that Nick Madrigal's number one comp was Placido Polanco. My very first thought was, hey, Placido Polanco was a very solid ball player for a long time. Yeah. So that's that's not nothing. So I'd like it on the record as saying I would be okay if Nick Madrigal turned into Placido Polanco. Yeah, that's 23-year-old Placido Polanco. I believe that's how old Nick Madrigal is. And, you know, Placido Polanco had 38 career war. He had two five-win seasons. So, like, if you could get that out of Nick Madrigal, that would be amazing. Right. That's nothing to sneeze at. Here's one. I like this one quite a bit. Robinson Chirinos. His comp, Joliet Jeff Reed. There we go. There we go. Uh, Randall, here's a player I want you to look up. Joe Strip, two Ps. And the reason why I ask is he's the comp for a Cub that was on the team last year, if you want to take any guesses. Uh, well, again, I'm, I'm cheating because I'm looking right at it. Wow, that's, okay. a, that's, a big, that's a big discrepancy between the, uh, the entertainment value of the name and the player to whom he's being compared. There's a big discrepancy there. I will get you uh the, the numbers for mr joe strip as soon as my computer catches up to me and Jeremy, anyone... do you know the player we're referring to though i, I do just yes it i up. just so, i just looked I at it yeah. eric sogard yeah for those trying to understand what we're talking about i was yeah. going to say another fun comp though if bob Randall's looking at those numbers is caleb killian is number one comp is john lieber nice i mean yeah, you take, take, take that take a john lieber Joe Strip played in Major League Baseball from 1928 to 1938. Mm. He played for the Cincinnati Reds. He played for the Brooklyn Dodgers. At least I believe he played for the Cincinnati Reds. Let me make sure I'm looking at the correct correct team here. Two Ps, uh, Strip. Yes, Strip with two Ps. The Cincinnati, yes, the Cincinnati Reds, the Brooklyn Dodgers, and he played for a team that having some trouble with the acronym here baseball reference what's the acronym the yeah, boston the acronym bees here. yeah the bsn i didn't know what boston BSN national was. Boston national yes bsn national boston national he finished his career with the 1938 st louis cardinals and the oh. 1938 boston bees so he went from um he Just in like his THN. final season in his final season he was a, a stinging animal that ruins picnics and then he was also a boston bee and he was known as the Eric Sogard of his time. Yeah, it's, I'm yeah. sure the, you know, I'm sure my my grandfather was on Twitter at the time talking about how much he despised Joe Strip. I'm sure it was positively, uh, I'm sure it was very energetic in discussing that. Randall, I, I would love to have seen Randall in the 1930s being anti-Boston bees. 
Like, I feel like you would have had a heyday with the Boston Bees. That would have been yeah, like no, no Twitter back then. So just me standing on a street corner shouting about how much I hate various players and various teams. Randall, Boston. Are you a, are you a honey man? You know, I, I'm not really, I'm, I don't have anything against it, but I don't, I don't buy it and I don't use it. Uh, I'm not against it. You know, being Jewish used to get it every year, pair it with the, uh, the apples for Rosh Hashanah. Mm. I don't know that I've had raw honey in anything for quite a long time. Do you only, is that the only time you, yeah. So you don't eat honey. You only, you only eat honey on the, the start of the new year. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't really keep honey. Ronan, do you keep, do you keep like raw oh, yes. honey in oh, your yeah. pantry? Really? Yeah. What do you watch out for bears tea? Really? Okay. So I'm not a big tea drinker. It would make more sense if I drank tea on the regular that I'd have stuff to put in it. So that does make sense. This is, I'm going to, I'm going to be honest. This is disappointing to me that Randall is not living up to his namesake, Mr. Sanders, uh, who Winnie the Pooh lived in the Mr. Sanders and he always loved the pots of honey. Yeah. I always, I always say that my family owned real estate in the hundred acre woods and that Winnie the Pooh like lived in the rental property that we owned. Uh, clearly somewhere along the way, my family sold that property because I haven't seen any money from it. I just, I just wanted to see pots of honey lining Randall's uh, apartment. Yeah, no dice. Sorry about that. But yes, Jeremy, you are correct. Winnie the Pooh lived under the name Mr. Sanders. That has not gone lost on me in the, the many years of reading those stories. In terms of zips, going back to zips <laughs> I was going to go back minute. to. Starting rotation. It's a big question for the Cubs coming into the year. Jeremy's nodding at me. Because that's Lawrence, exactly what I was going to do. <laughs> I, I, I can read what's coming from you, Jeremy. Good news here for the Cubs. Marcus Stroman predicted at four. Kyle Hendricks, two and a half. Wade Miley, 2.8. Pretty encouraging. Now, they need more pitching, but I'm really happy with all three of those numbers. It's a lot better than last year, the top three. Yeah. I, I take Marcus Stroman, Wade Miley, and Kyle Hendricks over any day of the week over last year, especially if a Kyle Hendricks is a better Kyle Hendricks. Hopefully we get this year rather than last year. Um, the one thing I will say about this rotation and, I, and, you know, I, I love the Stroman signing. I, I love the idea of picking up Wade Miley is that it's still a little short on strikeout ability. And that was something we heard from Jed. He talked about how he loves power pitchers. He, lo- he wants strikeouts and yet the guys we've gotten and they're great guys. They get all ground balls. Those, what you want, they're still not kind of strikeout guys. So I would love to see if the Cubs add another um, starting pitcher, which I think they should to the back rotation because it's a fine, solid top three, but the back is a little short to get somebody who has a little more upside in terms of, you know, firing the ball past the batter and getting some strikeouts. And I think the dark horse in that department would be Albert Alzali, who, first of all, he's, I think he's probably already talking to Marcus Stroman about pitch grips and things like that. And we know how much Albert loves borrowing knowledge from his teammates we know how much he talked to Jake Arrieta last year which in in hindsight may have been part of the issue um but something in the the write-up here for the Cubs projections is that the statistically they felt that Adbert was unlucky in giving up as many home runs last year as he did and they feel that's something that's going to normalize hopefully going into next season and that his walk rate has improved as well Uh, I think if, if those two things improve the upside is that Adbert's strikeout rate improves as well. And I think he could potentially be the dark horse in providing more strikeout ability to this rotation. We know he has the stuff for it. We know he's got the good fastball that sits low to mid nineties. We know he's got a great slider. Um, so again, I think him improving could potentially be the bump in strikeouts that the rotation needs. Of course, that's contingent upon him taking that next step, but someone who works as hard as we, he does, you certainly wouldn't want to bet against him. Maybe you're not betting on him, but you wouldn't want to bet against him. The thing about Adbert that worries me is the fact that he was, he's just 
at least last year. And, and, and he was just so bad against left-handed batters, like left-handed batters absolutely destroyed him. And it's hard for me. And I know it, it, nowadays we have the three pitch pitcher limits. So even if he's coming out of the rotation, he's still gonna have to face left-handed batters, but it's hard for me to really like, if you just are able to load a lineup and facing him with lefties after what happened last year, cause a lot of those homers and I, and he probably wasn't lucky, but a lot of them were against lefties. Um, it just seemed like he was getting hit and hit a ton um, by lefties. And so it, he really needs to figure out a way to pitch to left-handed batters. He needs to figure out a pitch or something to, to develop, to get out against that, it because it's hard to be a starting pitcher if the other team could just load up left-handed batters against you and then you're kind of stuck. So like it, I could see him kind of more coming out of the bullpen because then basically, you know, the lineups already set there because they were, were put to in there to face, you know, the, the starter or, or there've been some pitch hitters, maybe to face a different uh, pitcher before you came in. So it, it kind of gives him a little more of an advantage. And Jeremy, to your point and to my point a moment ago, this was something that I noticed uh, when Adbert signed is Greg Zumak, who posts on Twitter under at Ivy Futures, uh, surmised that Marcus Stroman could potentially teach Adbert a pitch called a split change with which Stroman held left-handed batters to very low offensive numbers, a 0.262 weighted on base average with uh, a whiff percentage over 30% on that one pitch. And we talk about how Adbert loves to learn. We talk about how he learns from his teammates. If that's the sort of knowledge he can gain from a guy like Stroman, who's as, as wily as they come to go with very effective stuff. Again, that would go a great deal towards addressing some of Adbert's issues. So when the time comes that the two can actually kind of be on the same field together and be on the same pitching mound together. Hopefully that's something Adbert can pick up from him. And, and one other area I, I would like to address if we're cool with that is the outfield. Um, I think that's a clear spot. I know we all talk about shortstop, especially middle infield, especially with the guy, like the way the Cubs have their pitching set up. We really do need infield defense and hopefully they can go out and get a major shortstop. But the outfield is kind of a hole a little bit. You know, unfortunately, we still have Jason Hayward out in right field. And I love Jason, and I think I thank him tremendously for everything he's done for the Cubs. But he's probably, you know, towards the end and hasn't really. I don't think he's going to be as bad as he was last year because it's hard to be as bad as you were last year. We say but, that every year, though. Well, he was pretty good in 2020, and he was better in 20. Like, he was good. Like, he got better every year from like basically from 2016 to 2020, and then he was terrible in 2021. Um, so I, if we get back to hey, 2018, 2019, that what I, you know, I, at least it's better than last year um but the outfield it's got some issues i think ian happ is a solid hitter he's been fine i I think he's probably more a left fielder now i don't know if he can really handle center field but i don't know i don't know what they're going to do out there because you you got hermesio you got harold ramirez you got some other guys and ortega but uh the outfield's going to be a hole so we i don't know how they're gonna maybe clint frazier finally breaks out or something it's going to be a big hole do you have a top choice whether it's for the starting rotation or for the outfield it's realistic could be a free agent could be someone they could acquire by a trade jeremy right now december 15th lock and change between now and opening day who is sort of top of the list for you in terms of an outfielder and a starting pitcher um i don't know i kind of like rodon you know if we're gonna go starting pitcher i've always loved carlos rodon i know he had he was amazing at the start last year and if it was if you know, he was a free agent after July, he'd be getting huge numbers. And then he kind of got hurt and he's had a lot of injury issues and he came back and he 
had like a good two innings in the the playoff game, and then he clearly looked tired and he was out way too long by Tony. But you know, for a high upside guy, I think uh, you'd probably have to handle him in some way. You can't like just force him out there all the time, but. He's going to get you strikeouts. He's going to get you a lot. I, I just think he's a good rant gamble and risk to take, and he's not going back to the White Sox, and maybe he wants to stay in Chicago. Boy, you're saying LaRusso left a pitcher in too long. Not the first time he's been asleep at the wheel. Um, my my outfield choice, and you know what? I'm probably going to regret this if, if the Cubs do go this route, and I'm not sure they will. It's probably Kyle Schwarber. You need an outfielder who can hit in the middle of the order. You need power. You need power from the left side. Kyle Schwarber can do all that in droves, and – you know, I'm having the same the same apocalyptic visions that everyone else probably is on hearing this. Kyle Schwarber coming back to the Cubs on the short-term but big-value contract that he seems to be looking for, and then he completely reverts back to the, 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 the struggling player that he was at times with the Cubs after a great season with Washington and with Boston. But you know what? You know what? We have the DH coming. Uh, bring Schwarber back. That's my choice for the outfield. I think the outfield market is – not great, especially once you get past guys like Schwarber and Bryant. Bring Schwarber back. Why not? Yeah. What about for you, Ronnie? Any uh, outfield uh, or uh, starting rotation? I I'd like to see I'd like to see them make a move in the starting rotation. I think Rodon's a pretty good way to go. What I don't really want them to do, but I think is more likely, is kind of the Danny Duffy type route or one of those kind of guys. But they need starting pitching. So load up the uh, rotation as much as you can. You know, center field to me is an issue with the Cubs next year. As much as I like Ortega, as much as Hap can do a little bit out there, you look at the center field market, though, there's just not a whole lot out there. So we'll see what the Cubs do. But um, I, I still think shortstop is the biggest priority offensively. You got to tighten up shortstop. And it's not just for who that player is offensively, but it is what can they do defensively? What can it do to help out the starting rotation? So they got to address the outfield, but I still think shortstop becomes the bigger priority. And I'm, I'm going to hold out hope and I'm going to end up disappointed that Carlos Correa is coming to the Cubs. Mm. I think that would be the most invigorating free agent signing, maybe since Lester, the, what it would signal for what this team is willing to do. Um, yeah, I, I know you're both shaking your head at me. I know I'm not, not shaking my happen. head. I'm not. Oh, okay. Romans. Eric Sogard. This, I'm nodding yeah. in agreement, Randall. Yeah. Eric Sogard, the, the, the Joe strip of the modern era. Um, yeah, I know I'm going to end up disappointed. There's no way the Cubs are going to pony up the 300 million that he's going to command. But until until the ink is dry on his contract with another team, I'm going to hold out hope. And I held out hope for Bryce Harper, and that didn't turn out. But you know what? I'm I'm ready to get hurt again. There's there's no, there's nothing in sports fandom that says you have to learn from your personal mistakes. Nothing at all. Randall, are you giddy or wanting a Starlin Castro reunion with the Cubs? No, not at all. The Nationals did the right thing by getting him off that team last year as his domestic violence issues came out. I don't think there's any value in any team bringing Starlin Castro back. Some team might, but that doesn't mean there's any value in it. Uh, yeah, Jason I want Kipnis. Ooh. Ooh. Um, yeah, if he wants to take another minor league deal, sure. We, you know, if only because I would like Kipnis to play a game at Wrigley as a member of the Cubs with fans there, which he could not do in 2020. And at this point, who knows if he'll be able to do it in 2022 for a number of reasons. Yeah, sure. Bring him back on a minor league contract, bring him up for one week on a homestand, get, let his family see it happen. And then he can send him back to Iowa. One more. I want to throw a pitcher in the mix. Tyler Chatwood. No, thanks. Been there, done that. I think we've all done our time with Tyler Chatwood. Uh, my, one of my enduring memories of last season 
we'll be seeing that the Blue Jays blew a big lead because their manager left some pitcher in to walk in with three, maybe four runs with the bases loaded. And then I take a closer look at the box score and who is it, but none other than Tyler Chatwood. I think we've all been there. I think we've all ridden that roller coaster. I think we've all driven that car. I'm good. Randall, I, I, I just figured you're team little Louis and that's why you want Kipnis back. Yeah. I'm, but, I'm always team little Louis. <laughs> go there for a Polish and some cheese fries. Absolutely. But, um, and I, and Ron, I think you talked a little earlier about Danny. I, the one thing I saw today was Danny Duffy's not going to come back to like July of next year. So June, I think you might June be okay. Flexor tendon surgery. And not getting a Danny Duffy type. Right? Yeah. Um, but one thing I think is kind of interesting would be you, if we know the A's are like in teardown mode, kind of, I, at least we think they're not going to really compete. If, you know, like a guy like Matt Olson or Mark Chapman, if they're on the trade market, I would, I would hope that the Cubs would be interested in them. I know we, we're not necessarily talking about first base or third base, but, and depending on who knows if what they would cost. Uh, but like, I think those are kind of guys that those are great players that, you know, maybe, the Cubs would be interested in, in uh, Matt Olson to replace Schwindel or Chapman to go to third base. Cause those are great players, but you know, or maybe Carlos Correa doesn't take $300 million. Maybe he does some, like what Jed wants to do, like some three year, $180 million, not that much, obviously, but a uh, four year, $180 million uh, deal that like short term, just a huge amount of money, uh huge, uh, you know, AAV cause the Cubs can afford it. Well, it's going to be quiet until they work out this lockout. I was walking by Coors Field earlier today, got to the main gates. I kind of wanted there to be a giant lock and a chain. None <laughs> yeah. of that. Dinger, so, Dinger standing there with a giant key. Yeah. A little anticlimactic. No players welcome. Yeah. Pretty right. dead these days, actually, around the ballpark, uh, which isn't uncommon this time of the year, but I was sort of expecting a giant lock, almost a comically large lock, keeping everybody out mm-hmm. while the sport is shut down. Um, well, this is what everybody's here for, Jeremy. Mm-hmm. This is what we all want, Randall. And Randall has been working. He's got the research that he put into this upcoming segment. He shared with Jeremy and I all the logs of the research that he did. So many, many hours Just, coming up with some trivia here. And, and then he builds you first time. Oh, he builds me always. Absolutely. But Jeremy, you and I get a chance here. You know, the thing with this trivia is a lot of these questions you shouldn't necessarily know. You just kind of bring up names and things. But This is not just knowing Cubs trivia. This is knowing Cubs trivia through the lens of Randall J. Sanders. So I'm I'm feeling like there's a lot of pride I'm putting into this trivia segment, and I'm looking forward to seeing what direction this goes. I am so excited. Without without any further ado, because I know the two of you have plenty of ado that you can go further with. How many questions do you have? I have three trivia questions. Three. And there is a an enjoining theme of December. All of these have a tie peripherally or more directly to the month of December. So we're going to start with uh, the late, great Ron Sano. He passed away this month, 10 years ago now. Terrible thing. Ronan, you let me know this on a Saturday morning. I was out of town for a wedding. You texted me. Santo passed away. And this was right around the time you had tried to convince me that the Cubs had traded for Scott Linebrink. So I was kind of hoping that you were just pulling another (laughs) rather tasteless joke. Yeah, you did. You did do that. But that was not the case. Um, so Ron Santo passed away this, this month, 10 years ago, we miss him every day. Santo, a big part of our, our fandom formative and his work as a broadcaster. So Ron Santo, of course, uh, synonymous with the number 10, the Cubs have retired his Jersey number 10, the first amateur draft in MLB, the MLB first year player draft, even the rule four draft, whatever you want to call it was first held in 1965. And in that time, 
the Cubs have only twice held the number 10 overall pick in this draft. Can you name the years in which they held that number 10 overall pick and the players they selected in that in with those picks? And I'm here with clues when you need them. Wow. Wow. Um, number I know 22, you... giving us a whole bunch of 10s. Yeah, that's right. I know Ian Happ was nine, um, but that's not 10. Yeah, so here you 10. go, dropping in an Ian Happ thing. We're talking 10. I know. Jeremy, 22 I'm trying to, to think about when, because the Cubs have to be like a mediocre team kind of. They're not. That's right. That's right. Not too bad. The Cubs have not been good at being mediocre. There's been a lot of bad. Um, Let me think. Boy, do we oh. do we need any hints? Um, yeah, we'll take a take a little tater tot. All right, uh, I will give you one of these players was discussed on last week's pod. One of these players was discussed on last week's pod. If you would like, I can give you the years, and I can give you the position, or I can give you the position. I'm not going to give you both because that's going to give it away. All right. Well, I'm trying to think of all the guys. Okay, I have a I have a guess then. All right. Um, was it Brooks Kieschnick? You are correct. In mm. 1993, the Chicago no, I was, Cubs I was say 93 or 94. 1993, the Chicago Cubs selected Brooks Kieschnick with the number 10 overall pick, then an outfielder. So you have one. There is one remaining. Okay. Is it is it modern? Um, it is modern era. I wouldn't say it's recent, but it is within the modern era. It's not, we're not going back to the 60s or the 70s. It is more recent than that. Hmm. Right. I'm trying to think of like all the Cubs first round picks. Uh, and I'm blanking on. Um, it's just so weird. I can think of all like, you know, cause I think like Kerry Wood was like number five and Corey Patterson was number three. I can think of all these, like these top guys. Yeah. It's when they get in the middle there, prior they start to, to start to start to lose things. Would we like a hint? Would we like a hint on our second one here? All right. Sure. I'll take a hint. All right. The year was 1997. And the Cubs had the number 10 overall pick in the draft. Oh, uh, Garland. You are correct. That oh, yeah. John, John wow. Garland. Pitcher John Garland taken with the number 10 overall pick in 1997. Our next trivia question. December is a month of giving. We have holidays in December. It's a time to spread good cheer. The 2016 Chicago Cubs were the best team that any of us have seen in our lifetime. Nine key members of that team were acquired by the Cubs in the month of December. They were like gifts from the front office to us Cubs fans. Can you name those nine key members of the 2016 Chicago Cubs who were acquired in December of a given year? Hmm. Okay. Well, Lester has to be one. Lester is one. John Lackey. Lackey, Lackey. is two. Uh, is Dexter Fowler in December or is that January? Dexter Fowler was not acquired in December as far okay. as I know. Um. The first time Montero. talking about the trade. First time. Montero makes number three. Ross. Correct. Ross. R Ross makes number four. Zobrist. Zobrist, in fact, makes number five. And Hayward. Hayward makes number six. How many uh, total? Uh, nine total. So you have collected six Adam Warren. out of the nine. Uh, Adam, Warren, Adam Warren is not on this list for a number of reasons. You're not counting Adam Warren? Okay. I am not counting Adam Warren. Um, Let me think. Uh, Hamill is correct. Hamill makes for number seven. There are two names remaining. I will give you a hint. They are both pitchers. Mm, pitchers. Hector Rondon. 
Hector Rondon is in fact number eight. And there is one you are missing. I will give you another hint in the next 10 seconds if you can't come up with an answer. 10's a theme today, Randall. It is. Yeah, 10 is a 10. theme because we all miss Rondon. It's all about 10. Uh, let me think. I'm thinking it's a reliever. All right. The hint is this player was acquired a long time, a number of seasons before the rest of these players were. Like there's there's a, a several year gap here between this player being acquired oh. and the rest of the names on this list arriving in Chicago. Several year gap. There's okay. a several year gap. Absolutely. Um, trying to think of several year gap. Big old gap. Big old gap. Mind the gap. What um, are you thinking, Jeremy? I see the wheels churning. Well, I was just making sure I knew all the rotation, which I did, and we named them all, I think. Um, so now I'm trying to think of the bullpen, which, it, I mean, it wasn't Chapman. It wasn't Strope. It wasn't uh, – we already named Rondone. Um, so several years before, like, so we probably would have been in the system or around for a while. Uh, it's not Mike Montgomery. It's not um, – CJ Edwards, it's not. Would we like the name? Well, do you have any more hints? Is this oh, uh, I will tell you know if I give you this last hint, I will tell the year they acquired him. This pitcher was acquired in December of 2011. December of 2011. This pitcher arrived with the Cubs. December of 2011. So it's gotta be like one of Theo's first moves. 2011. Um I feel like maybe it was like a rule five draft or something. But no. Um, I don't know. The answer is Travis Wood. Oh, Travis Wood. Acquired from Cincinnati December 2011. Aside from Hector Rondon, who was taken from Cleveland in the Rule 5 draft December of 2012, every other player on this list was acquired in December of 2014 or December of 2015. So those are our nine players. Travis Wood, Hector Rondon, David Ross, Ben Zobrist, Johns Lester and Lackey, Jason Hayward, and Miguel Montero. Our final trivia question this evening, Mm. keeping with our theme of December, the college football top four uh, graded out to be Alabama, Michigan, Georgia, and Cincinnati, one through four. Can you name the most recent Cubs player to have played collegiately at each of those four schools uh, to have played for the Cubs and what year uh, their most recent season as a Cub was? Okay. The most recent Cubs player from University of Alabama, University of Michigan, University of Georgia, and University of Cincinnati. One of these you guys are going to get very quick. Well, Cincinnati is is Hap and Alabama. Isn't Alabama? Oh, no, never mind. Auburn. Oh, I was thinking Keegan Thompson, but he went to Auburn. Um, so that's out. <laughs> okay. Well, Rich Hill went to Michigan, but he's not the most recent, I assume. You are correct. He is not the pretty- most recent. Oh, I'm correct. Um, oh, what about, uh, what was it, Bobby Scales? Bobby Scales did play for the University of Michigan. He is not the he's answer not the most to this recent. Question. Okay. Oh. oh, I knew he played for Michigan. I'm just thinking of guys who went to Michigan. Yeah, he's not the answer. And played to this for question. the Cubs. Okay, Michigan. I mean, it's not Jordan Wogu because he's in the minors. Um, uh, oh, no, no. That's, David Ross went to Auburn. Um, I keep confusing Auburn and Alabama. Wow, a lot of, lot of fans down, down there in the southeast going to come after you, Jerry, confusing uh, Auburn and Alabama. Well, I keep doing it because I was thinking in my head, Tim Hudson, too. But you went, I mean, you didn't play for the Cubs, but you went to Auburn as well. Um, trying to think of, like, who went to Alabama? Oh, it, Alex Avila. He did? 
but he is not the answer He's to this question. Oh, my God. Well, I'm glad I got a guy from Alabama who went to the Cubs. Um, I can't believe he's not the most recent. He is not, in fact, the most recent. I will give you a hint. We got Ian Happ already. He's obvious. The other three answers are all pitchers. Okay. Oh, Clayton Richard went to Michigan. You are correct. Clayton Richard is the answer for the Michigan portion of this question. You have Alabama and Georgia remaining. Um, it's Georgia now. Oh, I thought you said Ohio State for some reason. No, nope. right? Alabama. It's Georgia. Yeah. Yes. Um, I don't know why in my head I kept thinking Ohio State, but they're not. I don't know. I don't know either. Clayton Richard played football at Michigan too. Um, so Georgia. Now I got to think of Georgia guys, and I'm thinking of the first one in my head is obviously Gordon Beckham. Um. Not a cub, though. No, not a cub. But, you know, we know some people who are big fans of Gordon Beckham. We do. Gordon Bacon. Georgia. I'm, I'm trying to think of the two SEC right next to each other. Georgia and Alabama. Um, and they're pitchers. I will give you a hint on the Alabama. He was a 2021 Chicago Cub. So he is as recent as can be. As recent as can be. He is as recent as can be. He finished the 2021 season with the Chicago Cubs. He, he said goodbye to his teammates on the final day of the season. And he said, that was fun. Let's go home. That was fun. Let's go home. It's not like uh, Michael Rucker or something. I don't know. It is not went. Michael Rucker. <laughs> um, you have the position. You have the position. Correct. Well, you though. said it was a pitcher. I'm trying to think of like kind of guys that would be from that area or be from America and, the 2021, who are the 2021 Cubs? I mean, there's so many. The problem is there's so many guys who played for the 2021 That's Cubs. That's right. The 2021 Cubs did have a whole lot of guys to them. All right. I think we're going to go ahead and drop these answers in here. The answer for Alabama was Adam Morgan. Adam Morgan pitched collegiately at the University of Alabama. Okay. And then the Georgia name is a uh, heroic member of the 2016 Chicago Cubs. Justin Grimm was a University of Georgia Bulldog. Georgia Bulldog. Yeah, Justin so, Grimm, take it with Georgia. Alabama was Adam Morgan, Michigan, Clayton Richard in 2016. Georgia, Justin Grimm, last on the Cubs in 2017. And of course, still current Cub, Ian Happ, played for the University of Cincinnati. That is our December-themed trivia. I think I stumped you guys pretty good on these. There, was, there were no easy answers nope. all the way across the board. Absolutely nope. no idea what you were talking about the whole time. I got I I'm I'm Ooh, just happy I got Alex Avila as an Alabama guy who played for the yes. Cubs. Alex Avila what did go and to I the named a few Alabama. Guys. He, he did play for the Cubs, and you did go through the most recent Cubs to have played for the University of Michigan. So Georgia, I guess I got a beef up on my Georgia. I kept thinking the Pattersons, but they went to Georgia Tech or Eric went to Georgia Tech. Well, Randall, this is episode 48. Who are some of the all-time great 48s in Cubs history? Well, how could we how could we leave Rex Brothers out of this? He's not just an all-time great 48. He is the greatest 48. But just in case anybody wants anything a little more interesting than Rex Brothers, and quite frankly, who doesn't want something more interesting than Rex Brothers? 48 is uh, a number that a lot of, like a lot of these, it's bounced around a little bit. It was on uh, co pitching coach, Jim Hickey, Pierce Johnson is a guy who I thought he was going to be a guy. He was not, he had a very, very brief tenure as a cub. It's an interesting point in 2015, the number was assigned to pitcher Anthony Varvaro, uh, but he never appeared in a game. Um, and Anthony Varvaro, interestingly enough, 
Uh, it was later found out that he was injured and the waiver claim that brought him to the Cubs was voided. He was turned to the Reds, returned to the Red Sox. So he was assigned the number, but never actually wore it in a major league game. And honestly, that's kind of how it goes with number 48 on the Cubs. It's a lot of guys who you go, oh, hey, I remember him. And that's kind of it. Rafael Dolis, uh, Andrew Kashner, who will forever be known as the guy who brought Anthony Rizzo to Chicago, was a number 48. Ronan, one of your guys, because he was an ISU guy, Neil Cotts, was a number 48 in his time as a Cub. One of the great stories, Ryan O'Malley, who comes up as an emergency call-up. He pitches eight innings of shutout ball on the road in Houston. And then you go back to Scott Williamson. Joe Borowski, of course, did great things in the number for a Cubs playoff team, and they should have been more than just a playoff team. Uh, and then you go into Ruben Quevedo, a name that I know is uh, on your all-time list. And boy, you go further back from that, and it just becomes not particularly inspirational. Andy Pafko, uh, a notable player who wore number 48 in his time from 1944 to 1951. But 48 is just another number that's been kind of a journeyman number. It's been on a lot of guys, and a lot of them were not particularly noteworthy. Andy Pafko, great player. Uh, my grandfather's favorite player, I believe, uh, growing up. And yeah, it definitely seems like a reliever number. And I'm actually surprised that Pierce Johnson is still around pitching for the Padres the last couple of years. He is. He's still kicking. Jeremy, I noticed 1997, Mark Clark. Oh, yeah. 48 for the Cubs. That's a big name from our past. Definitely. That was a, such a big trade, too. You know, Turk Wendell and Lance Johnson and just some uh, Mel Rojas, I think, was in that. Just like so many names in that trade. And Mark Clark, obviously a contributor to the that 1998 team um, that won the wild card. So, um, and a guy who who cashed out, made a lot of money, didn't really pitch that well after that, and but bought a whole ton of land in Central Illinois where he's from. And I remember there was like an article about him. He had, he owned like all this hunting gear and these big trucks Mark and Clark? stuff. Yeah. Oh, and like okay. ATVs. I didn't know he's from Illinois. Yeah, he's from Illinois. And he was, and he owned like all and he would just go hunting. And they were like, well, Mark Clark, like you had this huge contract. And then stunk and then went out and bought all this stuff. It was pretty cool. I didn't know he was from Illinois. Where, yeah. Whereabouts? Uh, downstate. I mean, I could look it up, but uh, he was, uh, I remember because it was a whole, he was from, um, uh, here we go. He, he was from uh, Bath, Illinois. I don't Bath, know if you're Illinois, familiar with which is Bath, in Illinois. The, it's in the, uh, was it the west, the west central part of Illinois? If you go to the midpoint of the state and then you head west, he's looks like a couple counties off the state border. It's in Mason County, and I have learned the name of yet another town and county in Illinois that I don't know that I'll ever visit. And he 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 went to um, Lincoln Land Community College in Springfield, Illinois, and McMurray College in Jacksonville, Illinois. And Jacksonville is probably out there. I know where Jacksonville is. It's out as you said. Uh, I'm not exactly sure where Beth is. But it's probably not too far. That's out in kind of western central Illinois as well. Randall, are you a bath man? Uh, no, I'm more of a shower Illinois person. Shower Illinois is a lot further north. It's a lot easier to get to on the highway. Uh, notable bath uh, events, courtesy of Wikipedia here. It is host to the annual midsummer, and I am quoting here, redneck fishing tournament. Mark Clark's uh, that, probably there. You know, that's, that's probably true. If, if that does not sound like the single most exciting event that any of us could ever possibly attend, um, that I don't know what does the annual redneck fishing tournament. Randall, speaking of ref redneck fishing tournament, are you interested in going noodling sometime? Or would you like to go noodling? You, you know, Jeremy, I don't know that it sounds like a whole lot of fun to stick my hand in those underwater crevices and try and pull out the catfish. I'm kind like of what noodling is. Your I've, arm. Seen it, 
<laughs> oh, I know. I, you know, going into fish or, you know, waters full of fish who can, can bite a little bit like that and sticking your hand in their little underwater caves. That doesn't sound like a whole lot of fun to me. It sounds like a great way to coming away. It sounds like a great way to come away only being able to count to eight or nine instead of the customary 10. So I'm going to leave that to people who are a little hardier than I am and a little more skilled in that than I am. Red, I'll talk about the uh, hot springs trip this weekend. But don't stick your hand in any underwater crevices there either. Last week, I want to end up here with bulls and bears. Last week, I mentioned the bulls, and uh, I think I said, give me one word that makes you think about it. And uh, you talked about outbreak, I think, is the word that you used, Randall. It is, in fact. It uh, took me a couple of days, kind of processed, and I'm like, what was he talking about? Bulls got a problem here. COVID positive left and right. Did I see 10 players? Have tested positive on the Bulls? They were right above what the M- what the NBA considers the the limit of available players. They had nine available players. The NBA says as long as you have eight, you're okay to play. But they had so many guys out. The guys they had signed on their hardship waivers, and that's the 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 NBA equivalent of the NFL. You know, signing a guy off the street. Uh, the equivalent of you know bringing a guy up from the minors, not on the forty man. That's your literally your guy off the street the guys they brought in on the hardship waivers were, were testing positive for COVID. And I think the NBA finally, finally came to their senses and says, okay, you can't play this week. And then of course the Lakers are scheduled to be the bulls next opponent this weekend. They're dealing with at least three players in the protocols as well. And when you couple that with the outbreaks in the NHL, the outbreaks in the NFL, it feels like any day now could be a repeat of Rudy Gobert day where we say everything's going on pause. And when we come back, there's going to be no fans or at least limited fans in the arenas. That's probably exaggerating a little bit on my part, but I don't think it's exaggerating by much. It has that feel to it right now. Uh, yeah, I from what I read or seemed like the reporting was that the, the Chicago uh, Department of Public Health got involved and was kind of in shutting it down because it seemed like the NBA was kind of willing to let it go. I, I don't know. I, I don't I mean. I don't know if we're at that point where shutting things down not to kind of get off topic, uh, but you know, because the NFL doctor was out today and he said that two thirds of the cases they had, and they've had a ton of cases, and especially with Omicron, were all asymptomatic and that the rest were all very mild and they probably would never even gotten tested had it not been forced to get tested. Okay. So we'll see where we are. And I think the NFL is looking at, you know, allowing asymptomatic players to play because that's going to be the next, the, um, the next step is I, I they're, they're dis- discussing it and talking about it where, you know, if, if they're not showing anything, they're going to, I think they're going to, cause it, you're getting these guys stuck for like 10 days and they're not sick at all. So I, I think that's kind of being the next step, but the bulls are off. They're, they're, they're done for a while. Just like many other teams, Blackhawks had a game canceled the other day because the flames were dealing with it with an outbreak. Um, so uh, it's, it's an interesting time period right now. Yeah, you know, I would hope the NFL isn't moving towards allowing asymptomatic players to play. That sounds like a terrible idea. Asymptomatic cases can still spread the virus. That sounds like a great way to ensure that you know, six or seven teams in the enhanced protocols of, of needing to test every day and needing to wear masks, even if vaccinated in the team facilities, that sounds like a great way to ensure that six or seven teams becomes half the league. I would hope they're not moving towards that. Uh, yeah, but it's 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 difficult right now. And it, it, it underscores the fact that we are not done with this pandemic. We have better tools to protect ourselves and to fight us, to fight it at this point. But the, the virus don't care. It's going to keep developing. It's going to keep infecting people. 
is going to keep being breakthrough infections, which keeps people safer, but it's still, it's still a case. And it, you know, we're, we're not out of this. We're not out of this yet. It's still going to be with us for quite a while. Well, maybe that's a perfect transition. It's going to be like this for a while. The bears keep on losing <laughs> up in green Bay. They fought for about half the game or so, but it got away in the second half. It was uh well, it, it, the problem with that, what happened with the bears, I feel like is it was, they had all these, you know, big plays, but, it was special teams and it just didn't seem really sustainable, you know? And unfortunately um, I'm a little concerned. Like, and I brought this up a few weeks ago. I like, I'm still waiting for Justin Fields to kind of break out and have a game, but every week uh, he did look pretty good at the end of the Pittsburgh game. But at some point, you know, I I realized it's his first season and he's got a lot of issues, but it's not looking great right now. And hopefully maybe next year we'll see uh, better Justin Fields, but he has not really performed at all. And it was something I was worried about, you know, being a rookie all year. I didn't think he'd come in there and just dominate, but I was hoping he would show something. And I don't know if it'd be better just to let him sit and learn. Uh, obviously now Dalton's got an issue with the hand. So it'd be like Nick Foles out there, but um, I don't know. I, I'm just hoping that he shows something the rest of the season, but it's, it's going to be, it's not gonna be a fun end to this year. Jeremy, I completely understand your point that, that he hasn't shown I don't think that this coaching staff is ever really going to let him show up, show out and show off completely. I think this coaching staff is holding him back in the worst way. I understand your point that maybe he might be better served sitting and watching uh, if only to not, not get him injured any further. He's already dealing with cracked ribs um, and whatever else might be going on. I, I just think that he has to, I think you have to play him so you can, you can just kind of throw him into the fire. And I don't think he's, I don't think you gain anything by having him sit and watch Nick Foles go out there and try and run the office. Uh, again, I understand your point for my money. I think it's better for him to continue to play and develop. We, we know he's got the ability. I just don't think this coaching staff is ever really going to let him break out. And you're just going to kind of have to deal with whatever you get the rest of the way. Ronan, are you sit Justin Fields or are you play him the rest of the way? Which team are you on? As long as he's healthy, you play him. And unless there's some terrible, stretch of injuries on the line that it would be dangerous to play him. You play him and let him go out and get his reps. I want to talk about the coaching staff though. Maybe I'm petty. I'm, I'm often petty, Randall. At least you tell me that you're down two scores in the fourth quarter. <laughs> There's 10 minutes to go in the game. It's fourth and inches and you're punting. Why? Why? Like why not just because Matt Nagy is a coward. That's why that was a bad decision. That was pretty awful. Awful. Uh, and Terrible. it was like 13 minutes and they didn't get the ball back until there was four yeah. minutes left on the clock. So it was, you know, you're it's why are you giving the ball to Aaron Rodgers? I mean, Nagy said, Oh, we stopped him. Inches. We stopped him on three and out last time. Well, great. You stopped him three. It doesn't mean you're going to stop on three and out this time. And looking no. back on it, maybe you wish you would have done it differently. Of course. Um, but come on, man. Like, and what, what's the, who cares? It's your, your, the season's over. Your career in Chicago is most likely over. Why, why are you punting? There's no reason to be punting in that spot. It just summed up all the things I hate about the Chicago Bears right now, punting there on fourth and inches. I've always, I've, I'm always been a guy, go for it on fourth down, you know, in most situations. So I like taking risk. I hate, I hate settling for field goals. I, I like touchdowns. I always think you should be going for it. So, you know, when they punted earlier, like Matt Nagy has loved punting from his own uh, area of the field from, you know, from, uh, excuse me, from the other team's area of the field, like the Packers 38-yard line or 40-yard line. Like, why are you punting from this spot? Stop punting from the other team's spot of the field. So I, I've always had issue with it. 
I had such high hopes for Nagy when he came in ahead of the 2018 season. And that 2018 Bears season was some of the most fun that we've had watching the Bears in quite a while. And it's just been downhill. It's not just been downhill from there. It's been downhill so far and so fast. And I think Nagy is a great leader of individuals. I think that even for all his coaching inability, I think his players still are okay with him. It could be a lot worse. You could have Urban Meyer kicking his kicker during a practice, going up to him, kicking him and telling him, I'm the head coach. I'll kick you whenever you want. Uh, I don't believe to the best of our knowledge, Nagy has ever kicked one of his players. So I suppose it could be worse, but that's cold comfort. He, he has to be done. He's a lame duck. And my hope is that in a month's time or so, we're hearing about the bears engaging in yet another coaching search. I, I do want to go back a little bit though. Um, I wasn't necessarily, I'm not, I wasn't necessarily like advocating that field should sit. Cause I think once you have them out there, you basically got to throw them out there, but I've always personally been more of the, and it, goes both ways because there's success stories on both sides, but I like having my quarterbacks. I, I don't know. I like having them sit out a little bit, learn. I mean, Peyton Manning went in right away. Great player. Patrick Mahomes sat out the whole year. Um, and you know, he came out as a great player. So like you've seen it both ways. So and personally, I've always aired on, I think they should, you know, really get the chance to acclimate and adjust and learn to the NFL. And then, you know, we'll see. So I, I've, I, that's why I was not eager when everybody was like demanding Justin Fields play. I'm like, no, Andy Dalton's a solid quarterback. Like, let's at least go with him. And then I think the Bears said they had a plan and they, whatever plan they had, they did not execute it. Now I know Dalton got hurt, but I just think it was a total mess with how, you know, Fields was the guy now or, or Dalton's guy reporting is that George McCaskey forced Nagy to make feel um, feels the guy, which I think would be absolutely ridiculous if that was true. Um, and a, and a joke of an organization. Um, if, if George McCaskey did that, um, but who knows, it, I, it's believable to me. Well, this is what happens when you have a dysfunctional organization, even the things that might not be true, but sound awful. We, we don't really, the, the organization doesn't really get the benefit of the doubt. And Jeremy, uh, being the expert on smoked meat that you are, it makes sense that you would want fields to be seasoned properly I before, do. before he, he, he needs a nice rub Randall. Shot. He needs a nice yeah. rub on him. Yeah, well, he he's vegan, so I guess it doesn't quite line up as a uh, as a, as a a metaphor. But it, it makes sense that you would want him to be seasoned properly. Because if there's one man who knows the value of proper seasoning, Jeremy, it's you. Who, well, you got uh, Justin Fields is vegan. He he adheres to a vegan diet. He huh. said that he tried it once alongside, uh, I believe, his dad, and his dad couldn't do it. His dad said he likes chicken wings and French fries too much, but Justin liked what it did for his. Uh, his health, he liked what it did for his body, and he is full vegan to the point where one of those, uh, you know, pre-draft documentaries, it shows him training and living with some other guys projected to go high. They all go to a steakhouse, and Justin's the guy asking the waitress, do you have just a plate of vegetables? And she has to tell him, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll see what I can do with the kitchen. So he's a, he is a committed vegan. If that's what works for him, good for him. He's an interesting guy. Yeah, I hope he goes out and dominates the Kirk Cousins on Monday Night Football. So well, that's that's not hard because Kirk Cousins in the in the the Kirk Cousins in the primetime spotlight. That's I know, that's, I know you I guys both up. like your you guys both like your your small wagers. If there's any bet that I would ever place, it would be against Kirk Cousins in primetime. I'll never forget that Sunday night game in 2018 where the the microphones caught him telling his teammates we're the reason this game was flexed into primetime, and then they go on to get humiliated at Soldier Field. What a complete cornball asshole. Well, we'll have to put 222 on it. I think Jeremy can uh, muster that up and we'll do what we can with you, Randall. Anything else want to throw out there today? 
uh, you know, with the holidays coming up, who knows what our recording schedule might be like. We certainly were not going to try to take a week off, but sometimes we say, you know, everyone's got responsibilities and such. I know Ronan's shaking his head at me. He's saying no days week. off. We got a no, show next week. No days we'll off. Back. No but days just off. Just in case. We'll be Just back. in case. I wanted to wish everyone a Merry Christmas. And I'll repeat this next week if I have to. Merry Christmas. I hope everyone is able to see family and friends over holiday downtime. And uh, I hope everyone is able to safely enjoy themselves this holiday season this week, next week, and the week after. Definitely a Merry Christmas. Yeah, I, I would I would love to wish it uh, to all who practice. And, you know, I, I do want to mention, though, and not something that nobody else on this podcast cares about, but maybe there's somebody out there. It has nothing to do with the rest of our podcast. But last Sunday or this past Sunday was one of the most amazing events ever. Uh, craziness. Um, in, in a fantastic year of the Formula One season, Max Verstappen coming on the last lap in the last race to win the championship over one, maybe the greatest Formula One driver of all time, Lewis Hamilton. So I just want to throw that out there. That was an amazing race. And we may never see anything like that ever again after an amazing year. And I know my boy Ryan was watching it. And I just want to say that was incredible. And Max Verstappen, what a, a tremendous achievement. All right. Well said. Don't know what you're talking about, but we'll be back next week for more Cubs baseball. See ya.